turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Do you know yourself to be a sinful wretch in need of God's grace? And do you know of God's amazing grace as He freely and lavishly pours it out on you? That's the subject of our time today as we take a look at the sovereignty of Jesus. Luke chapter 5 on this edition of Abounding Grace. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, greetings and welcome to today's broadcast. We have a final look for you at our little mini-series called The Sovereignty of Jesus. We're looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Jesus had told the disciples to do a bit of fishing in the middle of the day after they'd been fishing all night, and uh, they get an amazing catch. They realized that only God could bring this about, and he's standing in their presence. Now, I don't know about you, but the reaction Peter has then begins to make a lot of sense. Join us for an encouraging look at the sovereignty of Jesus and his tender reply to our understanding of that truth. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The Lord Jesus Christ came to deal with things of the heart. He came to bring radical cleansing. And the word radical in math means the root of it. So that in dealing with the deep recesses of the heart, eventually the entire life of the unbeliever now converted by Christ will be changed. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save us from our depravity, not by fixing us up on the outside, but by raising us up out of spiritual death unto life where we now have power to say no to sin. The person who has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and has repented of his sins, that person has the power to say no to sin and has the power to say yes to righteousness because he has been set free from the tyranny of his depravity unto newness of life. Now, do you think Paul had this in mind when he wrote the sixth chapter of Romans for you scholars? Turn to Romans 6. And you'll see the imagery of all of this. Romans 6 spells out verbally what Leviticus pictures for us. The radical change from spiritual death to spiritual life. Now I've learned in my life that the principles of Romans 6 are absolutely essential to living the Christian life. And the reason that many people who profess to be Christians, fail at living the Christian life is because they live life ignorant of Romans 6. Now, what do I mean? Well, there are two kinds of failures in the Christian life. There are those who say the responsibility of a Christian is to obey the law of God. Law, law, law. I've got to avoid sin, sin, sin. I've got to keep from sinning and I've got to obey the law of God. That is the focus of my life. Yes, I want to be a Christian. 
So I'm going to start obeying every law in the Bible I can possibly find and avoid every single sin. That is the extent of their faith. It is basically a doing. I've got to do, 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 do. And then they wonder why they fail to obey the law of God and why they can't keep from sinning. And they wonder why all of their relationships seem to be just a bit haywire. And then on the other hand, you have the professed Christian that makes the mistake of saying, well, I've been saved from my sins. And now I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. His Spirit has filled me. And now all I have to do is follow the Spirit. I don't want to be a legalist. I don't want to be concerned with all the details of the law. See how ugly it is. I just want to allow myself to be led by the Spirit of God. We just see both of these views are based upon an ignorance of Romans 6. And I submit to you that you will have no success in living the Christian life unless you understand the basic principles of Romans 6. So let's read just a few verses. Romans 6. We will read verses 1 through 10. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid... How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know we not that so many of us were baptized unto Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed for sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. Now, Here you have one of the clearest statements of the Christian experience that I know of anywhere in Scripture. The Bible says, when you become a Christian, the Lord God Almighty applies the power of Christ's death to your life because what happened to Christ happens to you and I. 2,000 years ago, when the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, He rose again to newness of life. And when he did that, he broke sin's reign over himself. He broke the tyranny of the dominion of sin over his life. And he arose to newness of life. And because we are in Christ and beloved, that is one of the most important phrases in all of Scripture. In Christ. Because we are in Christ Whatever happened to him happens to us who are his people. So when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we experience spiritual death on to resurrection. You died to what you were before that moment of salvation, and you rose to a whole new life in Christ, a life of new power, a life of light, a life of the knowledge of God, a resurrection life. The old person is dead. You were that a leper in the advanced stages of leprosy, and now it's all over. You're healed. The live bird has been dipped in the blood. 
One bird was sacrificed for another, and because of that sacrifice, a live bird is allowed to go free. He is healed. And because you have been sprinkled with the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ, you have been set free from sin and death. Your leprous spirit has been healed because of your identity and unity with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you become a Christian, you experience spiritual death to everything you were before. And you are moved into spiritual life with the Lord Jesus Christ. You are, in the fullest sense of the word, a new person. That old person you, you were is dead. You are a brand spanking new person in Christ. The old has passed away. Now verse 11 of Romans 6 is a very important verse. This verse is the first time in the book of Romans from chapter 1 to chapter 6 that Paul tells his readers to do anything. It is the first imperative statement in the book of Romans. Everything prior to this was indicative. An indicative statement is, of course, one of fact. An imperative statement is one of command. And the Bible, remember this, the Bible never gives us imperatives until it first gives us indicatives. That is, Christianity is not simply a legal code. It is a way of life based upon a very particular theology. Listen, beloved. If your theology is wrong, your life will be, not maybe, will be immoral. There is no way to live right and be compassionate and Christ-like if you have the wrong theology. Now let's get straight what theology means. It's made up of two words, theos, logos. It simply means God's word. So before Paul tells his readers to do something in verse 11, he says, listen, I want you to understand the truth. You've got to be correct in the way you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I want you to get the theology straight so that you can know what happened to you. Because that is the starting point for everything I'm going to tell you to do. It is the premise for living righteously. Okay, so what is the first thing that Paul tells his readers to do? Listen, even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Believe that what I just said has in fact happened to you, reader. Recognize that you are in Christ, dead to the power of sin and risen to newness of life, and then draw from that power to live as someone who has undergone resurrection. Luke says, likewise, reckon or consider ye also yourselves to be dead and indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is where you start living right, beloved, and being compassion, being Christ-like. Understand who you are in Christ. Make sure your theology is straight. Make sure you know of your relationship to Christ and what that means. 
Paul says, before I tell you to do this, this, and this. Understand these things so you can draw from the power of this new life so that you can be the people Christ now commands you to be. Now, what's the second imperative of Romans? In verse 12, Paul so again, again commands us to do something. And he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Make a clean and total break. Shave off all of your head, all of your hair off of your body, and wash your clothes and take a bath. Do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Beloved, that spirit she spells out what Leviticus 14 is all about. Now that you have by God been set free from sin to newness of life, understand the power that you have and believe that you are what God says you are by faith. Draw from that power. And now don't let sin tell you what to do any longer. What is sin? The Bible's definition of sin is simply to break the law of God. Now that you have died to the power of sin and arisen to newness of life, understand the truth of this and don't let a desire to break God's law dominate you any longer. Verse 13, and don't go on presenting the various parts of your life and your body, your eyes, your mind, your memory, as instruments of unrighteousness and rebellion against God, but present daily, continuously, habitually yourself to God to, as those who are alive from the dead. And remember, as, 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 as members of, as instruments of the righteousness of God, and sin will not be your dictator any longer. You show me someone who has sin as his dictator, and I'll show you someone who's not a Christian, beloved. You show me someone from whom God's law is a burden, and I'll show you someone who is still a part of this world. But... You show me someone who says, I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what God demands me to be. But praise God, I'm not what I used to be. I used to be a slave to every sin and temptation coming and going. And oh, I am still a sinner. But sin doesn't have dominion over me any longer. I have the power in Christ to resist those sinful desires, to disobey and disregard God's law. But when I fall short, I grieve over it. And I confess before Almighty God. And now, the great desire of my life, even though I don't do as I should, is that every part of my life, every part of my being and my person, will be used as a weapon of righteousness in God's holy hands. So every day of my life I say, here I am again, God. I surrender myself to be regulated and governed by the details of your revealed will. And beloved, if you can't say that, you know very little about the power of God's grace. What does that great verse 14 say again? For sin shall not be master over me, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Isn't that a great verse? While you were dead in your trespasses and sins, while you were living 
a living death of spiritual, moral, leprosy, depravity. Sin was your dictator. And you did exactly what sin told you to do. And it was indeed damning your soul to hell. Then out of sheer, undeserved, unmerited grace, Almighty God reached down in your life and caused you to die to all and, that, and raised you to a new life in Christ because He chose you to be in union with Him. Now you have a power in you that is greater than the power of human depravity. And though you are still tainted with sin and will remain a sinner inexcusably and irrationally the rest of your life, nevertheless, sin is no longer the master of your life. The master force of your life is Christ, along with a desire to please Him, a desire to be used by Him, a desire to be a weapon of righteousness, a weapon of God's law in God's hand, by which God shall accomplish all of his purposes and advance his kingdom here on earth. Beloved, if you have a sin in your life that is gaining the upper hand, you have no excuse. As Christ chosen, you are united to him and have been empowered by grace to overcome evil and sin in your life. You must want to overcome it and say no to it while you beseech God to strengthen your desire to resist and to live to please Him and not yourself. Now in closing, let's go back just a moment to Luke chapter 5. The Lord Jesus Christ had this leper go back to Jerusalem and go through all the various rites of cleansing at the temple. And now there is a phrase I want you to look at in verse, verse 14, which says, And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest and offer for that cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. He says, I want you to do this as a testimony to them who are most likely the priest in the temple. And the word testimony in Greek means a witness or an incriminating testimony that was used as evidence for the prosecution. Jesus is saying to this man, I want you to go back to the temple. Don't tell anyone what happened to you until you get back there. When you get there, show yourself to the priest. Go through the various cleansing rituals. Get him to pronounce you clean, which will then be an incriminating testimony to be used in the prosecution of this priest before the tribunal of Almighty God. Now, what is the point here? More than likely, the priests that Jesus required this man to go to were hostile to Jesus, as most priests were then. So he sends this man to them as a living testimony. For eight days... This leper is a silent preacher. For eight days, this man is to say nothing and just go through those cleansing rituals. At the end of those rituals, when he is anointed with oil by the priest, and the priest declares him clean, at that point, the cleansed leper is to tell the priest the story of how the Lord Jesus Christ healed him. And at that point... 
the priest is caught in a quagmire. He is given his official testimony. This man is healed. He has no more leprosy. He's been restored to the people of God. The healed leper then says, Do you know who totally healed me with a simple touch? Jesus the Christ. Jesus the man who professes to be the Messiah. The man against whom you have expressed great hostility. The man who shows great reverence for the Mosaic law, greater than you. That is the man that healed me instantaneously of all my leprosy. After hearing this and seeing the results of this miracle, if the priest fails to surrender himself to Jesus, he stands there condemned before Almighty God by the very evidence which he himself has supplied. Jesus here once again impresses us with his sovereignty. He is, a, he is sovereign, not only over those who he heals and who he claims as his children, but he is also sovereign over all of his enemies and all of his critics. He has them all under control, and he forces them, as he forces every individual into a crisis situation, where that person must choose to surrender himself to Christ or to continue to harden his heart against God and by his own conscience find evidence that condemns him for his unwillingness to believe in Jesus. So I say to you this afternoon, no matter what you believed or thought when you came into the sanctuary today, and no matter what you think now, you have been forced by Jesus into a crisis situation. I didn't do it. I didn't wake you up and bring you here. I didn't put it in your heart to be here, beloved. Christ is sovereign over you whether you believe in him or not. Even if you are hostile to him and critical of him, he has forced you into this place. And by hearing this word preached today, you have, forced, you have been forced into a decision. Right now in your heart, every individual in this room must, without exception, choose either to totally surrender their life to Jesus or persist in their rebellion against him. Now, I'm not simply talking about those here today who may not have bowed the knee to Jesus. I'm talking about members of RHC and you visiting here from other churches. You are being forced right this minute by the Lord Jesus Christ to commit your total life to his service. He is not asking for a portion of your heart. He commands it all, beloved. He has not called you out of darkness into light so that you can simply get ahead in life. He commands that you use the entirety of your life for the reconstruction of his created order. You must decide to either continue in lukewarm service to him and reap the consequences of a half-hearted commitment or surrender your entire will to him. Which will it be? You are in a crisis situation just like that priest. And before you leave here today,
You will decide to do one or the other. Because that's the power of the preached word of God. The great desire of your life is either to surrender every aspect of your life totally to Jesus and to live to serve him with every ounce of your being or it is to live to please yourself. And you can't have it both ways. And God has sovereignly brought you here today to force you to make that decision. I praise God for his sovereignty. And I praise God for his will in my life. And I pray that you do as well. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website, where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us, is reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, you can write to us at PMB, that stands for Post Mailbox, number 402-1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. (music) 